0: Hey there, welcome to episode 32. Today we'll be listening to Tina Bosch as she tells us her story. Hey everyone, you're listening to Patio Talk Pod,
1: where we believe everyone has a story
0: and we want to share it. I'm David, and I'm Cindy.
1: Welcome to the show. Tina Bosch is our guest today. Tina has lived in seven countries on three continents. She's a graduate of Wake Forest University, where she majored in philosophy and studio art. She earned a master's in theology at Regent College in Vancouver, British Columbia. Currently, she serves as manager of Lifeway Women's Bible Study publishing team. She's the author of Given the Forgotten Meaning and Practice of Blessing, and her writings have been published in Christianity Today, The Gospel Coalition, and The Ark. Tina is a writer, an artist, a speaker, a leader— And recently, a friend to us. Tina, thank you for joining the podcast today.
2: Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. We're glad to have you.
1: Very much so. Uh, We've developed a a friendship through a mutual friend, and we haven't had as much time to spend with you to get to know you as we would like to. And we thought, what better way to do that than to open up our podcast and bring you on the patio and get to know you better.
2: I love it. There's nothing like a patio. (laughs) (laughs) So...
0: We want to first ask you a few questions that kind of help us get to know you a little better. So with that, um, when it comes to thinking, making a decision, are you more like a crock pot? You like to contemplate, ponder, or are you more like an instant pot? Always prepared with
2: an answer, quick wit. I am definitely in the contemplative camp. I've got to think about things a while. I can make a decision. I can be decisive, um, especially about matters of, like, taste and style and things. But when it comes to thinking through hard things, it takes me a while. So I want to read hard things, and, um, yeah. So I would say I'm definitely more like a crockpot. I am as
0: well, (laughs) so I can relate. Um, You have lived in seven countries how many of the countries did you live in as a child?
2: So I was actually born in the United Kingdom, so in Cambridge. So I definitely lived there as a child. And then after uh, my family came back to the United States, we did, I didn't go back overseas until I was 18. And then I went back over to study abroad in Italy. So, um, yeah, so there was a big gap between, let's say, 3 and 18 Okay. Um, but since then I've li- lived most of my adult life overseas okay so what superpower
0: do you wish
2: that you had? Oh man I don't know there's so many good ones, aren't there? <laughs> there really are so many good ones. I mean I could say I'd really love to be a teleporter, be able to think of a place and then be there. Oh, but be I'd fantastic. also really love to fly because I like the visual and the feeling of flying. It's really a toss-up between teleportation and flying. Mm. So have you ever went skydiving? Yes. Well, not skydiving. I've been paragliding. I did that in Slovenia when I was there at a conference. Mm. And I jumped off a cliff with tandem, so I can't claim that I'm good at it or anything. But I got the experience of feeling like I was falling and then being lifted by the wind and then soaring over this lake and then landing clumsily in a field. Oh my gosh, that sounds scary. <laughs> I don't think I really thought about it. it I just jumped. Yeah, I so, guess in that case, I was pretty decisive. I didn't so have think, you ever I did done the, think it. Have you ever done the soaring ride at Disney World? Soaring ride at Disney World. I was just
0: wondering if it was at all remotely. I don't close remember to the but real I mean experience. I love
2: swings. I love the feel of being in the air. So yeah.
0: It's a simulation that makes you think that you're doing that.
2: Is it the Avatar one at Animal Planet? No. That, one, that loved, one may be
0: now, but I've it may be now. Right? It's at Epcot. It okay. has it's called soaring.
2: I, I have not been to Epcot in a very long time, so I don't yeah. remember, but um, man, I love the Avatar ride at Animal Kingdom. That was my favorite.
0: Mm. We haven't done
1: that yet. It was The last time we were there it was three hours long. That's why I was, wait. It was And we didn't so have time to do it. I will couldn't... say we
2: did it, that three hour wait, and it was worth it. It was worth it. Oh, wow.
1: Next time we go back, we'll definitely do it. I but, loved it. Yeah, but I think we were just in the time crunch and couldn't couldn't fit it in. So, And we couldn't get a fast pass for it. So definitely a disappointment that we couldn't go. Yeah.
0: So that's as close as I will get to soaring in the air. <laughs> it's the pretend simulation.
1: <laughs> yeah, so for flying, for Cindy, I mean, it was a long time before you actually flew. And I didn't actually fly until I was 13 or 14, just in an airplane. I, I'm of the opinion that, you know, people have asked me, do I want to go skydiving? And I'm of the opinion, why would I want to jump out of a perfectly good airplane?
2: Mm-hmm. If it's a
1: bad airplane, sure, I'll jump. But if it's a perfectly good one, I'm not for it. But. Yeah, yeah. I'm not I going think
2: skydiving would be more intense. First of all, because you're a lot, lot higher, right? And there's a lot more velocity involved, and so I think it would be more traumatic experience. But paragliding was it was wonderful. I it enjoyed was? it. Mm-hmm. I would do it again.
1: I may try. I would. I may try that. That was that would be something that would be
2: fun. Let me check our
0: life insurance policy first. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> 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 oh, okay, so. You're married, so how did you meet your spouse?
2: Yeah, so Brett and I were both planning to go overseas for 2 years after college. We did this program called the Journeyman program that's more or less for college grads who want to spend 2 years overseas. And we met at training. And Brett was headed to Africa, I was headed to Bulgaria, which is in, you know, Eastern Europe. So we were going to be on two different continents. But we were curious about each other, interested, I guess. Um, Brett was still kind of dating someone at the time, but that was about to end because he was going overseas anyway. Mm. But this is in the era, y'all. I mean, we're talking 1997. Like there was no, I didn't even have a laptop when I went overseas. Of course, cell phones weren't a thing right. back then. Right. And Eastern Europe was still just very, It was had been very little time since the Soviet Union fell. So Mm -hmm. that's very post-Soviet. Still, the infrastructure was terrible. So, you know, it was in the era of you had to call the operator to get an international line. It was a whole rigmarole. So in those two years, Brett and I didn't really, we were, we only saw each other once. And we communicated not very often. I think we emailed like once a month. But then right before we went overseas, he came to spend a Thanksgiving with me. And then that was sort of the moment where we were like, yeah, we're really we really are interested in one another and then we started dating when we got back. So, yeah, we met. At so a you, So you met and it was 2 years before you started dating? Started dating. Yes. But there wow. was some communication in between and definitely some interest. Yeah. That's really cool. I know. Brett when he Brett got off the plane in Bulgaria, he was coming from Africa, and Africa—it's like in Kenya where he was—it was like seventy degrees all the time. So he got off the plane in Bulgaria, in November, with like uh, just like a a long sleeve shirt on. There was already a foot of snow on the ground. Oh, wow! It oh, wow. was cold. Um, you know, it's the Balkan mountains. Right. Like, and he was so unprepared for the weather. We had to get him, like, a coat and, like, borrow some snow boots from a friend. And he was, he didn't know what he was getting into. That's the bottom line. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all he knew is he was coming to you. And yes, that's all that mattered. That's right. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Let's do one more question. Um, tell us about one of your favorite childhood memories.
2: Oh, man, that's the kind of thing I need to ponder. Favorite childhood memories? Hmm. Well, I'm going to say there are so many, honestly, but probably one of them is we had, there were some friends of my parents from their Cambridge years that lived in Montana and my family had three girls and their family had three boys. And sometimes in the summer, We would go visit them and spend, you know, a week in Montana. And they lived in Whitefish, which is really close to Glacier National Park. So, you know, the memory of driving up, going to the Sun Road for the first time Mm. and seeing at that time the glaciers, a lot of the glacier that was there when I was a child is no longer there. I mean, not in the way that it once was. And then hiking like across the glacier I mean, there's just no, I, I'm not, I mean, I have traveled a lot and I've seen some amazing places, but Glacier is among the top, like three for sure.
1: Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. It's
2: so beautiful.
0: Yeah, we, that's somewhere we would like to go.
1: Yeah. We continuously wow. talk about that. I would love to go to Glacier and then drive down through Montana and go to Yellowstone.
2: Mm-hmm. I'd
1: love to do that and stop at some ghost towns and see some of those as well. Yeah. But now you're talking about Glacier. I'm That's pushing me even closer to it
2: yeah we did do it. one time we did glacier going to the sun road and went into Vang, into um canada and then went over to banff and y'all i mean that is that is god's country clearly
1: really mm-hmm. you're talking me into a little bit more tina
2: yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> continue talking about that I'll, and i'll definitely be booking that trip
2: Get on it cuz apparently a lot of people apparently are. here. <laughs> so. I know it's gotten pretty bougie up there. It has. It I mean, wasn't <laughs> like that when we used to go up there and as as kids, but I went up there recently for a videotaping and it I was like, wow, it has changed. It's it's yeah, it's higher end now than it was back then.
1: I've heard the tourism has increased yes. Uh, greatly. Yes, it since is. Since a particular television show came out that has gotten more and more people interested in Montana. Yeah. I don't know how true that is, but that's, it was an article that I read the other day said that. So, uh, so Tina, here's a question for you. Um, a little bit deeper here when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused, uh, or if you've lost your focus temporarily, what do you do to gain it back? What questions do you ask yourself? What do you do to gain your focus back?
2: Hmm. You know, I don't know that I ask myself questions, For me, silence is really powerful. So, like, I don't mind. Like, if I'm taking a car trip, especially by myself, I'll sometimes drive in silence. Um, So that helps me a little bit. I was talking to a friend about that today because I drove out to Montgomery Bell Park State Park for a morning, like, for a conference that was out there. And I just drove in the silence. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one way. I mean, I'm pretty, at this stage in my life, I'm pretty disciplined about getting up. I'm the first one to wake up in the morning in my house, like 95% of the time. And though that morning time is like my reset focus for the daytime. I really need that time. Like that's the time when I'm sort of, you know, I make the coffee I have my chair that I sit in pretty much only in the mornings. It's like my morning chair. And, you know, my my Bible, my devotional, some of the things that I'm reading are there. So I don't, I, I usually read scripture, but sometimes I've got another book that I'm in that's also helping me to refocus. Most recently, I read the most beautiful book. It was called The Sound of Life's Unspeakable Beauty. It's by a German man named Martin Schleske. It's just been translated. And he's a luthier like he makes violins wow. but like i mean he like goes out into the alpine mountains and cuts down the trees that are beginning to become the violins that are like curing in his like workshop i mean it's i had no idea it was so intense i mean i knew it was craftsmanship obviously but like from the point of selecting the trees anyway wow. so so that's my time to like read something beautiful Withdraw a minute, have some time with the Lord. Sometimes just let my mind wander, but man, if I miss that time, I get overwhelmed.
1: You get okay, gotcha. It's it's more so if you you've got to have that in order to keep your yes. focus and keep recharging. Absolutely.
2: I mean, you you really also can't go wrong with some deep breaths. No. I mean, the people who t- say take a deep breath, mm-hmm. that is really good advice. It's like deep breath, drink a cup of water. Mm-hmm. Half the time, like I just am a little bit dehydrated. Like so True. I mean those are super practical things. But basic things, yes. Breathe deep, drink some water, like take a moment, it makes a big difference.
1: Makes a huge difference.
2: Yeah.
1: So a very wise person on their website, meaning you, you wrote this. A long look is not only essential for understanding art, but is also required for parenting, friendship, appreciating beauty understanding great books, and for navigating life with God. You also wrote, a long look is about focused attention. It's about actively fighting distraction to create space, to contemplate the layers of meaning in an image, book, situation, or conversation. I think what you were just talking about Mm
2: -hmm. with
1: your morning, that's when you do that. Yeah. So you talk a little bit more about that. I know on your website you talk more about the long look.
2: Yes. Yeah, you know, so much of understanding starts with actually seeing and perceiving things. Like, we, it's surprising, we just get so busy. We don't actually see the people who are across from us sometimes. Um, we, re- y'all all know the experience of reading and realizing you don't, haven't retained a single thing. Mm-hmm. Like, the words are on the page, your eye has moved over them, but you don't actually, you have not actually seen the meaning in the text. Mm -hmm. Um, That's definitely true for art. Like, I love contemporary art, especially, like, really weird, like, contemporary art. The contemporary art that people are like, what is that even? My child could have done that. I love that stuff because it actually has... If you understand the context in which it it was made, what else was happening in the world at that time? There's usually some reason art developed in the way that it did. Artists were responding to these deeper cultural trends, and um, but you know if you just look at it and move, yeah, you're not going to get it. Like it takes a minute. Like you need to to stop and actually take it in and ask yourself what you're seeing, and um, and then start asking some of those context questions. Um, so yeah, I do. I think, I think really not looking, but seeing, Mm. you know, there's a distinction between those two things. We look at a lot of things, but we don't necessarily see them and take them in. You know, I'm the worst. Like I have a terrible short-term memory because I'm sort of in my head all the time. So this is actually something that I have to like really work at. Um, I've realized I'm, I'm not good at it even for my kids. Like sometimes, Naomi will ask me a question, and I'm not even hearing her because my mind is somewhere else. I am not seeing her. Now I remember there was a time when I was working on, uh, was writing an essay or or something or a chapter for a book, and um, Naomi's talking, and I'm like in my screen, and finally she like just lift lifted up her tiny hands, put them on my face, and like turned my head, so I was looking her in the eye, and she's like, Mom, you're not seeing me. And Mm -hmm. she was right. And it's that stuck with me, and i got to say it's a constant battle, but I still think it's true.
1: It is. I mean, we live in such a a society that we are constantly being pulled in different directions, and it, it sometimes is hard to focus, and when we do get that opportunity to focus, it's hard to get us out of that as well uh but we a lot of times don't pay attention to to the small things that are right in front of us and we miss them and you know i think a lot of times people will say talk of talking about their children you know you blink and it's gone and a lot of times it's it's kind of true because our focus is on you know making a living or writing or and we're we're constantly bouncing around and i find myself doing the same thing so when i really get focused into something it's hard to get me out of it so I, I completely understand uh, what you're talking about there. Let's talk a little bit about your book. Okay. All right. So Given, The Forgotten Meaning and Practice of Blessing. On your website, you say, Given is a journey to understand the Christian meaning and practice of blessing. Blessing isn't a possession. It's a calling. Blessing isn't something we own. It's something we were meant to become. hmm I know in your book you talk about just how a blessing from our Western culture, basically, or maybe our Western Christianity, it's, you know, it, it maybe in our language when we say things, it's it's not really a blessing. But in other cultures, and I know you have been around so many different cultures, yeah. that you've seen this in other cultures, it's a really big deal.
2: It is, to, yeah. to
1: say a blessing.
2: It is, yeah.
1: So could you give us some examples maybe that you have seen?
2: Oh, yeah. So many. So one of the things that made me start thinking about this is that um, we were living in Istanbul for a long time. And there, you know, the language is Turkish. Um, Turkish culture, like so many cultures of the Middle East, are really, and honestly, and Jewish culture as well, um, are full of spoken blessings. So for instance, in, in Turkish culture, there aren't I mean, secular culture, there can be neutral relationships, but for the most part, in many parts of the ancient world, you were either for someone, and so the nature of your relationship was one of blessing. You spoke that. That's, I'm for you, you know? I want the good for you. Or you were not. You were, Yabanja. You, you were foreign or you were against them. There wasn't neutral territory. You know, in our secularized American space, sometimes in the consumer relationships we have... Like, we can just have neutral relationships. I'm mm-hmm. not for you. I'm not against you. You're just, what, just there. Just there. Yeah. And that's that sort of neutral space doesn't exist in some parts of the world in other cultures. So one of the things I started noticing that was that when I came back to the States, there were these phrases that I missed. So, for instance, like, um, in Turkey, if I were to see my neighbor, like, making a pastry, or if she brought me, like, a, it's very common to bring— your neighbor something that you a bit of something you've just made from scratch so she brings me a piece of cake or something i would say ah Eleneze saluk health to your hands mm-hmm. like health to the hands that just made this mm-hmm. or if my if you know i have a friend who's coming down with a cold and i can tell she's not feeling well i'd be like get me like may it pass quickly you know or, and these are phrases you're using all the time. Like, I walk out the door and I see a guy, you know, doing some hard work on the street. Maybe there's a guy who used to work in our building. He's called the Kapaja and he brings you things and stuff. We'd see, say, Kola Gelsin, like, may it come easy. Like, pretty much to like I shopkeepers and things. Yeah, may it come easy, you know. Brett's mowing the lawn, I could be like, Kola Gelson, like, may it come easy. Like, I know that could be a hard thing, but may it come easy. Or if you have a friend who's living on a trip, you say, Yola Cikolson, may the road be open before you. Which in Turkey, honestly, in Istanbul's gridlock traffic, like, you really want the road to be open. It never <laughs> is, but I'm going to wish that good for you, right? Yeah. So there are all these beautiful blessings. And then there were especially really beautiful ones, like, for weddings and for babies. So, for instance, at a wedding, you would say to which means "may you grow old together, sleeping on the same pillow." Like oh, beautiful. it's this beautiful, like oh, blessing for intimacy yeah. and long life together. Um, so I had a friend named I had a friend who had come over, and she actually knew my sister. She had traveled in the states and stayed with my sister one summer. And so my sister was pregnant; she was expecting a baby. And so my friend Asla came over and was like, hey, Tina, we were about to Skype my sister who had just had this baby. And Asla said, look, before we Skype, I want you to tell me what should I say in English as a blessing for the new baby? And I was like, "Hmm, I don't know. I said, I guess we just say congratulations. And Turks do this thing when they disagree with you. They like click their tongue and lift their head. And you can't see this on a podcast, but it's like, so Asla goes, and uh, she's like, "No," she said. I mean, what would a Christian say as a blessing for a new baby? Because if you're a person who believes in God, why wouldn't you? Like, there should be something good to say. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, "Oh, I can't believe it!" But I don't know. Like, I don't. We don't say we say congratulations, right? Yeah. And she just looked so disappointed, and she was like, "Tina." You say congratulations for everything. Congratulations is not a blessing. Wow. So I start, I said, also, what would y'all say? What would you say as a blessing for a new baby? And she said, mm-hmm. May the baby grow up together with his mother and father. Mm-hmm. Which is a really beautiful blessing is, yeah. for the integrity of the family. So her comment really stuck with me, and I thought about it a long time you know why why don't I have a practice? I found that I really missed that way of relating to people this like very concise like statements of good which is what a blessing is um, that I was praying for them and blessings are very much they're more than a hope especially in a Christian perspective they're they're actually, a prayer in the presence of God spoken to you, directly to you. So there's a very relational component to it. Rather than me saying, I'm praying for you, I I speak the good, right, that I actually want to see the Lord accomplish in your life. That's what a blessing is. Um, So I started looking in Scripture, just sort of reading the Bible fresh for um, blessings there, and I found them all through Scripture, there are lots of them. I mean, Jesus often related to people by simply saying, peace be with you. It's mm-hmm. the first thing he says to the disciples after his resurrection. Peace be with you. Shalom, Allahem, is a blessing, a spoken blessing. So there are lots. Paul writes many of them in his letters in Ephesians. He has a very beautiful prayer for the Ephesian church that is a, is a blessing. You know that um, you would know the height and the depth and the Mm-hmm. breadth of the love of God and be filled up with God himself. Um, there are blessings at the end of Thessalonians. There's beautiful blessing in Romans. Um, and and Paul kind of customizes them to the message of the letter. Um, so he's clearly thinking about, you know, may one of his blessings is, is that, you know, the God of all peace would um, fill you. Another um, is Trinitarian. So, I don't know. I just I felt like this was a language I needed to learn and incorporate more into my relationships.
1: No, oh, that's beautiful. It it really is. I mean, yeah, just thinking really about you saying congratulations, we say that for everything, right? right? Not just not just having a baby, but hey, you know, I I passed my exam. Congratulations! I you know I graduated. Congratulations! But really, what are we saying? It's just like I'm happy for you. Exactly. I'm happy for you, but what what? What are we trying to, to say other than I'm happy for you?
2: Right. Yeah, congratulations is very much uh, an acknowledgment that I am happy with you. I'm celebrating with you. But what a blessing does is it actually moves me into the future, or it speaks a good that I want to see realized in the future. So it's future-oriented yes. rather than present-oriented.
1: I love that. It makes all it makes yeah, <laughs> wonderful sense. Yeah, it makes you sense. stop
0: and think now, like. Like, what did you say when someone got married? What was it that they say?
2: Bir yastik to kojayan. So it's, kojayan is one of those words that's hard to translate. And in, you know, in Eastern culture, a yastik or a pillow, it can be a very, like you might, the pillows actually could be like very long or even like something that you're rolling out to sleep on on the floor, you know, when you think of Eastern culture. So a yastik isn't just like my pillow, but... May you grow old together sleeping on the same pillow is kind of the feel. Or may you be married together sleeping on the... Kojayan is like one of these words that encompasses so many things. But it has a sense of like doing life together, growing old together, like, you know... I, the closest thing probably is doing life, but it means to be married together. Right. But it doesn't, you know, it's one of those phrases that's so succinct in yeah. Turkish, birya yes stıkta but it communicates so much. And it has the sense of may you grow old together sleeping on the same pillow. May you do life together sleeping on the same pillow.
0: I will have to remember that. I don't know anyone getting married soon, but <laughs> 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 just like I like it
1: too. <laughs> so we've got it now. You can just listen to it over and over and over again so you yeah. can say it. Yeah. Exactly. So it
0: becomes natural. It's
1: very beautiful. Yeah. I mean it's 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 a very beautiful thing to to give a blessing to someone. You know, I think back to just you know, throughout scripture when someone says, I'm gonna give you my blessing, you know, or, bring me my son, I wanna give him my blessing. Just yes. All the different times we see that. Yes. And I was actually I was just thinking about that earlier this week about you're giving my son a blessing. You know what? What is it that I want to say to him, and how do how do I want him to receive that? And what is it I want for his life? Right. I
2: just want to say that wasn't me sneezing. No. It is the tiny dog at my feet. <laughs> <It
1: is definitely>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, sorry, everyone. we've we've had to bring a, we've had to bring one of the dogs in, or else he would whine right, the entire our patio, time.
0: That's patio. One of our patio pups. Exactly. The patio pups. So <laughs> they like to make an appearance every now and then. He does. So I'm just sitting here thinking, like. I don't always do this, but I will tell someone happy birthday, and then I'll follow. May you live richly, and uh, oh, now I can't remember how to say it. May you live richly in God's abundant uh, abundance of blessings this through the year. Yeah. So I guess I've kind of been that's doing a blessing. It. I don't yes. sadly I don't do it for everyone. Yeah. But there are times that I will take that minute. If it's someone I know really close, and I'll say that. But I guess that is sort of like it is.
2: Yeah, and I'm your thought of, like, do that. I do think there are milestone moments where, do you know, thinking through a longer blessing that speaks to what you see developing in, in your son's life can be very powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, we've definitely done that at different points, you know, for Lois's 18th birthday. Um You know, I I did. I asked different friends to write some blessings for her, and then we also wrote one, put them together in a book with some pictures of her all throughout her life. Um, there have been moments, there was a time, and I need to reclaim this when I used to give my kids a blessing on January 1st for the new year, Mm -hmm. um, and that that was sort of how we started the year. there definitely were blessings I prayed over my kids when they were babies. I mean, Micah knows his by heart, because it's taken out of the book of the Bible that bears his name, you know. May you do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. I mean, I prayed that aloud over him every night for years. And so he knows it. Like that's his blessing. So, I think I do think it's incredibly meaningful for a parent to be very consistent and intentional about communicating blessing to to their kids.
1: Very much is. This, this is where you got inspired to write the book. Mm-hmm. What was the process like for you? Had you ever written a book before?
2: Uh, not a book. Now I had I had sort of been in publishing, so I had helped. book projects before, but I had not ever written one of my own. And it was slow. I'm not a fast writer. I'm not like the person who can sit down and write a book in a few days or weeks. I mean, it was a very slow process for me. And the truth is, I started writing it um, the January after my 40th birthday. So I know that for sure. Um, And then it, you know, it took me I was getting I was still, you know, working and had kids. So I was getting up at like four thirty in the morning so I could have two hours to write before the kids got up. And wow, that's
0: impressive. That's discipline.
2: I'm like the kind of writer though who needs to like draw on lots of research. Sure. So when I write, I've got lots of books around me. I take notes from all those sources and then I organize those notes in in a document. And then I start writing, and then I might be pulling references to things. But it's never like I'm just typing away, you know. I'm not that kind of a writer. But, and then there's long process of revision. I mean, I think I wrote like three chapters, and then I was like, who am I doing this for? This is never going to be published, and this is too much work. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> I put it aside. And some people that I had known I was working on it asked, one of my professors from Region asked me about it, and – um so I went ahead and I picked it back up again and I started working on it. But I mean, I want to say the it it was probably for me it was about a two year process of on again off again working on it before I actually had anything that you would consider to be like an actual manuscript. It was a very long process for me. Not everybody writes that way. But. No.
1: So you wrote the book about blessings. Mm-hmm. So what was what was your prayer? for your book.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think my prayer for the book for sure was that people would see that when God first relates to Adam and Eve, the very first words spoken in the garden from God to human to man and woman were may you be fruitful and multiply. It's not a command. It is a blessing. Mm-hmm. Like God's to us, the way he initiates relationship with us is through blessing, and we see blessing all through the relationship between God and His people, and then between and then once people start relating to one another. Think, you know, for instance, Jacob's mm-hmm. blessing of his kids. I mean, Genesis starts and ends with a blessing. Mm-hmm. God has blessed first, then Jacob blesses his twelve sons. Um, blessing is woven all through all through the narrative, all the way through to Revelation. So um, I want people to see that, that ultimately um, God initiates blessing. And the question is, are we going to respond and live in it? That's beautiful. Yeah, That's
0: really insightful. I just never thought about that because I guess you grew up thinking of it as a command. Right. To to go and be fruitful, you know, (laughs) and just... I like that.
2: Yeah, as if it's a burden. But what is Mm -hmm. God blessing us with there? I mean, He's blessing us with relationships, with family. With family. Be fruitful and multiply. I mean, when Adam and Eve are fruitful and multiply, they are making children. They are making family. You know, ultimately, we know, like, our relationships are the most meaningful thing that we have in our lives. And that's the origin of God's blessing for us. Yeah, that's really good.
0: So what makes you feel inspired because we I, we didn't really touch base that art. I mean, you've talked yeah. about how you view art and I things, do. I love but art. but you apparently do like stained glass, yes, uh, artwork and things. like that. I don't like make that. the stained
2: glass. I have designed, designed several stained glasses. Yeah, yeah, inspired. I mean, I I do. I love going to art galleries for sure. That is inspiring to me to see the things that other people are making and thinking. Um, I love. Church architecture. I mean, you know, traveling in Europe, you get to see a lot of it. There aren't many inspiring build. There are not as many inspiring buildings in the states, although there are some. There's a few. There's yeah, there some. are some. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry.
1: There's a church in St. Louis that I always just love to see.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, but so I mean, travel is definitely inspiring for me. But the truth is, I can get inspired just from a walk in the woods. Um I do love being outside in the fresh air. So for me that is inspiring a balance between walks in the fresh air and also, you know, and honestly for me inspiring is being around other creative people. I mean probably the thing I love about my job the most is that I get to work with creative teams. Um so yeah. It's a range of things it's not one thing. But it's really hard to be inspired if you're not around other people who are making things.
1: Exactly. I was just thinking while you were saying that creativity breeds mm-hmm. creativity. It does. So I agree with that completely. Uh, so so your writing and with your art, do you think that's a spiritual practice for you?
2: Oh, yes, for sure. Yeah. Art, it's hard for me to say with art because I, there have been art is really hard work for me i love it and i but i'm not making a lot of art right now because it's it is it is a lot of work it never was a hobby for me um writing for sure yes like i definitely feel like the lord speaks through the work but not immediately so you have to actually take the time and do the work and do the research but then there are these moments of like aha you know illumination where i'm like oh gosh that's it like there'll be moments where a chapter's not coming together and i don't know why and i've got these pieces and they're not fitting together and then in in the working and in the revision and then it's all just like all of a sudden it's like yes this mm. is i can see this now this is working and something that wasn't was a little bit foggy just snaps into place so yes that is for sure it is a spiritual practice for me very good yeah
1: we want to be respectful of your time, and we've got a lot of questions we wanted to ask you. So I'm going to move on a little bit. Um, I wanted to talk to you about, uh, you know, I, I know your husband, and that's how we really uh, got to know you is through your husband for me. And I want to talk to you about your mission work. I, I heard for so long out of, out of our mutual friend, my friend Brett. you, know, you got to meet him because, you know, he's, he's overseas. This is where he's at, and we would talk about that a lot. But I want to talk about your, your mission work. So how long were you in the mission field
2: um brett and i were overseas for uh, all told about 19 years Mm-hmm. a long time
1: and uh, different places right not the same
2: um yep yeah, bulgaria and then um cyprus and then turkey
1: and turkey so when you you knew at an early age right that you wanted to do oh. mission work
2: no 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 you did not <laughs> No, not at all. Are you kidding? No. I I had no idea what I wanted to be. I was the most – because I think anytime you have somebody who has a, like, is wide-ranging interest, and especially in creative fields, it's, like, really hard to know. I mean, I think I went to college thinking I might go into law or – I mean, I like to read. I like to write. I like to do art. So did not exactly – suggest a particular career path. No, my, my dad was a pastor and I had a really great experience growing up as a pastor's kid, but I did not see myself in mission. So no, that wasn't on the horizon. That was not there. No, not at all.
1: So, so when you said you were going to do your two years, right afterwards, was this like a, I'm going to get to travel and and do oh, some work. Yes. <laughs> so.
2: Yeah, that that was more like I just graduated with a philosophy and studio art degree. I have no idea what I can do that makes money in that field and I think my mom actually suggested there was a publishing house in Lebanon that was needed somebody to help out. And so I was initially going to do that. I got redirected because the contact that was going to be there was not going to be around. Um, and That was around the time Beirut was kind of getting back on mm-hmm. its field, uh, feet after a, uh, some civil conflict. So, yes, I ended up in Bulgaria teaching. It was never something I saw coming. And I certainly didn't. It never occurred to me then that I might spend as long overseas as I did.
1: Wow. So... Once you started into the missionary work, right, was there, were there misconceptions that you had that, that maybe you had to overcome, or were, was there anything that surprised you about mission work?
2: Well, it didn't surprise me that it's really hard. Yeah. So that was not a surprise. Um, and I think I knew that it would be disorienting. I mean, living cross-culturally is hard. I think I didn't fully appreciate what a sacrifice it was going to feel like once we had kids Mm -hmm. and once we got older. You know, when I was young and single, and even when Brett and I were initially married, it felt like a great adventure. And as we had kids and we saw in our friends' careers developing, it it there was – and then we're far from family too, Mm -hmm. right? So we're raising kids – Um, in a situation where we felt very alone a lot of the time, yeah, it's just, it's really hard. I mean, it it really is a sacrifice. Um, So I would
0: think, too, like, thinking about how long you were, like, in Turkey, especially with your kids and everything, like, technology growing through that time. So I guess you got to experience that connection maybe being a little bit better over time. Yes, we did. Because I imagine... I mean, you're talking late '90s, yeah, early 2000s. There wasn't a lot like there is now. But I know it doesn't replace. Yeah. To to hug someone, to be in their presence, right? But to be that around had to be kinda when neat. something hard
2: is going on, to be able to, to go when yeah. when something hard happened. I mean, Brett and I yeah. both lo- missed our grandmother's funerals. Mm. Like we couldn't go. Like I, when my grandmother died, I had just had Lois. I couldn't travel. You know. Yeah, there are just some. And, and it's a lot of the things that you would normally do with families getting together at Thanksgiving or Christmas or, yeah. you know, for something in the summer. Those things, it was just too expensive to fly our whole family. So um, you do feel very distant. Yeah. But at the same time, there were some really wonderful things. I mean, I can say our kids experienced an incredible um, sense of hospitality and welcome in an islamic culture i mean in some senses more than they do here turks really really love kids Mm -hmm. and are attentive to them and it was interesting because when we would come back to the states i would realize no one even noticed our kids like no one interacted with them or talked to them and our turkish friends always did like they they love having kids around they're interested in them as people and it's that's just really different here for the most part. Like oh, wow. adult community is is different than that kind of community that you feel when you're in Turkey. And our kids miss that. They miss the welcome we felt that we always received there. Yeah. So there are definitely some things to miss too, for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine. That's a big change coming back here, and mm-hmm. your children having never known this. Right. Culture here in the United States, either you know? yeah. I mean, we've our son, you know, being from Ethiopia, he's fully Americanized, and you know, unfortunately, <laughs> in a lot of ways. Uh, and obviously, he's fortunate in a lot of ways too. But, but yeah, that's um, when people say that, you know, they think maybe he's got still some of his cultural. It's like no,
1: well, he doesn't. No. He's not around it, and so it's and we, and we yeah. try to to do that. But it's, it's, difficult. it's hard
0: once, you know, you're ingrained here in the every day to day activity and he's he's fully American child.
1: Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. So I know we're going to we're kind of cutting it short on time, so I don't want to keep you much longer. But uh, so let's let's dive into a couple of questions here for the end. Uh, what are three books that you would recommend to our audience and mm-hmm.
2: why? Man, there's so many good ones. That's really hard. That's a really hard question. The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. Probably my favorite book on just discipleship, what it means to follow the Lord. But Dallas Willard is such a great writer. Um, so I love that one. Home by Marilyn Robinson. It's my favorite modern novel. Um It's really beautiful story of a prodigal son. I wouldn't say it resolves at the end, but it's complicated, and you feel um, that just sense of longing that Jack, as the prodigal, has for home. There's a really Marilyn Robinson's trilogy starts with Gilead, and then Home, and then Lila. I love those three novels so much. They're my favorites. I, I, I say that, and then I'm like, oh, but what about Wendell Berry? Like, you know, <laughs> so Hannah Coulter, um, just exceptional. Yeah, Hannah Coulter is definitely on the list too. I mean, ask me any given day, and I'll come up with you, a you have list. you have a different yeah. one, a different list. <laughs> yes. Sure,
1: sure. That's exactly what uh, most avid readers you you get with with folks who read a tremendous amount is there's different ones. Yeah, that you have. It's like me listening to podcasts. Oh, I've listened to this new podcast. I've got oh, I've got a new podcast. Oh, I listen to this new podcast. And I say it all the time. But if so, someone asked me what's my favorite three, it'd be what time is it right now? What am I into? So yeah. I, I can I can relate to that. Definitely.
2: Those are pretty tried and true ones. I haven't read Dallas Willard in a while, but it's just one of those books that sticks with me. Um and that I I've read more than once because it's that good. Same, same for Wendell Berry's Hannah Coulter, and same for Home by Marilyn Robinson.
0: There's so many good ones. I have to make note for my whole, our week at the
2: beach. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Cindy gets more reading done on the beach I in guess. a week than she gets through. No, interior. I don't know
2: if any of these are beach reads. Hannah Coulter would be a beach read. I would be done on the beach. Yeah. Okay. So, what are
0: you looking forward to in the future, personally or professionally, and/or both?
2: Yeah, well, so y'all know I do, professionally I do Bible studies, like make women's Bible studies. And so one of the Bible studies, one of the books of the Bible we've never had a study on is Revelation. Mm. And so this summer we're filming Jen Wilkin teaching the book of Revelation. And I can't wait. Like I just, it's such a fascinating book. She's such a great teacher. So I'm really, really looking forward to that. So professionally I'm excited about that. Um, I also have my first trip to Israel coming up. We're going to go to Israel with Christy McClelland. I've been to Israel once, but we'll actually be shooting a uh, Bible study there. The whole, all of the video teachings will be shot there and it'll be walking with Christy through the book of Luke. So where Jesus was oh, at wow. different points in the book of Luke. So yeah, that'll be awesome. That'll be very great. I'm really excited about that. Yeah. So the, uh, those thi- those are things I'm looking forward to. And as far as personally, I'm looking forward to my daughter Lois coming home from Scotland for the summer. So yes. we sent off our oldest daughter Lois to Scotland for her freshman year of university at the University of Glasgow. So this summer she's coming home. So personally, I'm looking forward to, forward to her being with us again. Yeah, that's, that's exciting when babies come back home. Yep, <laughs> For yep. sure.
1: Okay, last question. Last question.
0: If you could sit on a patio and have a conversation with anyone, who would that person be and where would you like for this patio to be?
2: Hmm. That's a good question. You know, he's not alive anymore. But... Eugene Peterson, Mm. I would have loved to have sat. And I think his home was in Montana, and I think it was on like a lake. So to sit on a patio at a lake in Montana with Eugene Peterson, he did a conversation with Bono on the Psalms that was filmed. So I just would have liked to have been on the patio when Eugene Peterson and Bono were talking about scripture. Um, I just have a tremendous aris- amount of respect for Eugene Peterson and um, the writing that he did. There are several of his books, like Eat This, Eat this w- Book and um, Tell It Slant. He just wrote in such a beautiful way about scripture mm-hmm. and with so much understanding of the original languages. Um, so, yeah. Eugene, I wish I had been able to sit on a patio with Eugene Peterson.
1: It would have been a great time. Mm-hmm. yeah it would have definitely would beautiful have been great setting too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah setting would have been great too. <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah. well tina we sure do appreciate you coming on with us uh especially kicking us off and getting us back going in our podcast where we can't think of a better way to do it and we are so glad that we have gotten to know you and brett yes absolutely and, um you know we can't and wait your to... children <laughs>
0: your children are precious
1: <laughs> well I, you know I was, I was as you were saying that i was saying you know what? I I do that. I find myself not knowing what to say to kids and how to communicate with them. So I definitely was thinking, I was like, man, I am very convicted right now. I need to learn to speak to kids better because I (laughs) I don't.
2: It's not in our culture. (laughs) No. There's a lot
0: not in our culture, and it's really sad. It is. It's not something
2: our culture encourages or that's a part of, yeah. But. No, we've loved it, you know you guys too. So thanks (laughs) for talking to me. I liked being on the patio. (laughs) Well,
1: thank you so much for coming on.
2: Yes, we appreciate it.
1: Well, we hope you enjoyed the conversation we had with Tina. Getting to know Tina and Brett has been awesome over the last, uh, I don't know, what is it? It's been over a year. It's been a year and a half, two years maybe. Yeah,
0: probably pushing two years now.
1: You know, I really am convicted on not knowing how to speak to children. Yeah. And
0: the thing is we do, but I guess it's just it's sometimes awkward for other children too. Like some are just really quiet and introverted and so you see that so you kind of feel like maybe I should not approach them or but then there's others, then there's others that, you know, really want that attention and love it cuz I'm just thinking thinking back now, thinking back now with our son, you know, which most our listeners would know is adopted and so when we brought him home, he was like a rock star walking through church. Everybody just loved, you know, wanted to talk to him, and he ate up the attention. He loved it, and he still does. Like so, Yeah, he does. So, yeah, I think it is something we just get caught up in, and, and just don't think about. We're just not intentional
1: about. No. And like she said, it's not in our culture. But I will tell you that since we did this interview, yes, I have tried to make a point to when I speak to someone who has their children with them, I speak and talk directly to their children as well. And I thought back of something that you say all the time: treat someone as they should be, right? Instead of who they are. And I'm thinking about that with children: is treat them as the human that they are.
0: Yes, acknowledge they are.
1: Acknowledge there. Acknowledge that, yes. that they're there and speak yeah. to them. And so that really did touch me. There was lots of great things that Tina talked about. Very interesting. Uh, I loved having her on, and I don't want to. I don't want to ruin. our our conversation from what we just had to people just listen to with anything that I have to say. So I just really want to leave it at that. We hope you enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. You got a touch of uh, hearing about another culture. And um, if you've never had a chance to actually physically go out of the country and experience that, then hopefully this kind of gave you a little insight um, to how life is a little different outside of the United States.
1: Absolutely. And until next time, please tell a friend, and if you do us a little favor, just share this episode with someone. Thanks. We would love for others to be able to hear it as well.